0: Welcome to Peer to Peer, the podcast brought to you by Rainer. Listen in as we hear from top surgeons having great conversations with their peers about hot and popular topics in ophthalmology. For this episode of Peer to Peer, the podcast, we're looking back at the 2023 Rainer Symposium at the European Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgeons in Vienna, with Professor Graham Barrett, Dr. Damien Gatineau, Professor Oliver Findel, and Mr. Alon Barsum as they discuss balancing quantity and quality of vision with advanced technology IOLs. Let's dive
1: in. Welcome to the uh, Rainer Symposium. I'm very happy to uh, welcome Professor Graham Barrett, Graham deserves no introduction, he is one of the most famous uh, specialists of cataract IOL power, IOL design that we have and we are very privileged to be with him today and uh, the keynote will be delivered by you. This will be about the art of designing IOL optics.
2: Damien, thank you so much, and uh, it's such a pleasure to be part of uh, this symposium, this Rainer symposium uh, today. And there's many topics at this meeting which are fascinating, the the prospect of accommodative lenses, new trends in antibiotic prophylaxis, the introduction of the uh, adjustable light IOL. But when I look at the program, I think one of the most interesting things is the large uptake of extended depth of focus ROLs as the lens of choice for so many surgeons. And of course, this is the theme of the Rainer Symposium. So by definition, extended depth of focus is quite simple. Rather than splitting the light, we take the single point of focus and we extend it to provide a greater range of vision including intermediate and near vision. And there's many ways you can do this uh, with optics, but you don't have to resort to diffractive optics, and it is possible to increase the depth of focus simply by manipulating spherical aberration, either negative spherical aberration, or as I will show you, in my opinion, preferable with positive spherical aberration. And so on the optical bench, for a target fixed at a certain distance, no spherical aberration (laughs) may be optimum. But the reality is that aberrations, pupil size, focal range is dynamic. And when you consider things like near vision, when you consider options like combining myopic defocus, in actual fact, the optimum resolution with extended depth of focus may not be neutral But maybe spherical, positive spherical aberration. And positive spherical aberration and myopic defocus interfere in a constructive fashion. There's synergy. And so the combined wavefront is of better contrast and quality and resolution than the wavefront of either myopic defocus alone or spherical aberration alone. Another interesting optical phenomena is that when you have negative spherical aberration, the impact of even minor decentration is much greater than an optic with positive spherical aberration. And so the Rayner uh, EMV has a unique optic with an aspheric profile, which is optimized for each power in the dioptric range. And this provides a consistent extend of depth of focus, minimizing the loss that you may expect with some spherical aberration. And I think when it comes to choosing a mechanism for extended extended depth of focus, the real principle of what we're trying to do from a design point of view is based on an understanding that optimum quality vision isn't just a matter of resolution, but it's finding that perfect balance between resolution but retaining adequate depth of focus. And the biggest difference is the intermediate vision, which is really excellent in the extended depth of focus IOL. And a lot of our activities today are more intermediate-based with digital media, etc., rather than reading small print, perhaps in years gone by. So today, if you look at the defocus curve, you can see that extended depth of focus or enhanced monofocals are not a homogeneous group. You can't for sure say that, well, extended depth of focus, they're all the same, they're not all the same. And the impact of the optic on dysphotopsia, the ability to combine myopic defocus is not the same depending on the different type of optic that provides that extended depth of focus. Now, most important is the quality of vision. And when I compared the contrast sensitivity uh, with the same patient but different lenses in each eye, found it very difficult to find any difference in impact comparing the um, positive spherical aberration optic to a standard negative aspheric optic, both for topic and mesopic contrast sensitivity. If you want to have predictable near vision, you need to combine some degree of modest monovision or myopia to provide additional reading. And with the Ray one emv using this principle, because it's been optimized for combining with a level of myopic defocus, you have a range of clear vision from distance, intermediate and near. So when you choose an optic and an optical solution there is always a balance between quality of vision and spectacle independence and I would suggest that total spectacle independence is not perhaps the ideal parameter to judge patient satisfaction and this is the quandary that you may have a patient who is totally spectacle independent with a multifocal but still not happy with the quality of his vision and when you look at the options and the balance between quality and reading ability, um, I would suggest that an extended depth of focus or monofocal plus lens, such as the Ray 1 EMV, based on positive spherical aberration, gives you that best balance. So, the optic is attractive. I think many surgeons would consider it for themselves, and considering the ethics of reciprocity first mentioned in the Mahabharata. Perhaps this is something worth considering in your patients. So it's my pleasure to move on and introduce the next speaker, who's Damien Gatinell. I admire Damien greatly. He really is one of the world's leading experts, not just in refractive and cataract surgery, but his deep understanding of optics and optical principles. He's also published widely in many, many publications, peer-reviewed, and he's the owner of several patents uh, on IOLs. David, it's such a great pleasure. I'm delighted that you're on the
1: panel, that you're involved in Ray One EMV. Thank you very much, and thank you, Graham, for the kind words. I'm going to discuss reality or myth, um, and we'll use a tool for that, which is objective, which is an optical bench testing. We will focus on on, on, the objective, uh, metrics that we can have today. And, uh, I work in the Rothschild Foundation in Paris, France. I'm a consultant for several companies, including, uh, Reiner and, uh, me and you, we have been, uh, exposed in, uh, uh, recent years to an eruption of new terminologies, which are more or less obscure. And which would try to suggest us that there may be a known optical phenomenon that we could use to design new uh, multifocal or uh, uh, EDOF or uh, improved uh, monofocals. And uh, again, what's interesting is that if you step back and know a bit of optics, all this shatters against the laws of physics because when the light goes in the eye, it only undergoes three or four mechanisms. That is reflection, which is not very useful. Absorption, not useful at all. Scatter, that's cataract. That's what we want to correct for. And then refraction and diffraction. But to my knowledge, there's not so many more uh, mechanisms that you can use to manipulate the light propagation in those kind of structures. And uh, I think these terms are here to uh, suggest that you can, you could have the benefits of multifocality without the inherent disadvantages of splitting and sharing the light entering the eye across several foci. So I've been, as Graham said, uh, paying interest for those questions. And I like to uh, know what I'm using. And uh, with uh, the collaboration, of uh, colleagues from Belgium, um, who work in the optical uh, industry or uh, who are PhD in optics, we designed a, a system which enabled us to measure the micron fluctuations on optics of the lens. Now there are true non-diffractive IOLs, which are the Isopure the Technis, the Luxmart from BNL, and the Reiner, which is different from all the other I cited because this is. So far, the only um, monofocal plus, which uses a positive so call aberration mechanism as was highlighted by Graham in the lecture. And uh, this, so we are more maybe familiar with how it works. What it was not supposed to be by the manufacturer again, it's designed first as a non-diffractive IOL, which is bizarre to me to design something by what it's not, but um, this is a claim to get uh, the I or the IOL with a wavefront focusing stretching x-wave technology which is also uh, uh, putting like a question mark because all lenses are stretching uh, the wavefront in some ways else there would be not any uh, op- optical interaction. So we are facing the challenge of unclear IOL optic definitions, technology descriptions and this is why it triggered us in my department to investigate these advanced optics and see what they were uh, um, in the eye. And when you look in the eye, for example, array one EMV lens on the left and you compare it to a VVT on the right, you see it's clearly different. I wouldn't be able to say that the lens on the left is uh, refractive monofocal or refractive multifocal because it's smooth. But on the right, I see and you've seen it if you use that lens or seen patient with those little. Uh, concentric zones uh, which uh, evoke or can evocate a diffractive structure or element or a combined refractive-diffractive structure because as soon as it's abrupt there's diffraction optically speaking. So you can see clearly the ring-like structure on the VVT and you don't see anything on the Reiner. Uh, we have a machine which we acquire, which enables you to uh, investigate the optical properties of the IOLs, including diffractive IOLs. This instrument is called Nemo Tempo. It's, it's provided by a, a Belgian company, Lambda X in Nivelle, Belgium. And it's a interferometer, so it's like a photofocometer for spectacle lenses, but now it's for IOL, so it's much more complex. And you can put a cartridge with the IOL inside, put the cartridge in instrument, and perform several measurements, which are processed with a very high-speed computer. Uh, uh, and that's that's why this technology is new because the calculation behind it is enormous. And What's interesting from the optical properties, you can derive the profiles of the diffractive element. So these are showing you that just a diffractive structure which is extracted from the base curve of the lenses. I mean, to me, I cannot say I've been copied there, so I won't be able to sue Reiner on this thing. But other companies are more uh, infringing, I would say. But this is clearly a different mechanism I and mean, that's nice to see this uh, uh, objectively again. Uh, And you see, that's what we measured. And now we can try to compare this to what the manufacturer provided as a description. And we were pleased to see that it's very similar to what uh, Reiner disclosed. So at least there is some transparency here, not only in the lens material, but in the communication of the element provided to the to the doctors. And I think this is enjoyable because it's not often the case and you won't find many description of IOL diffractive structures in other competitor uh, booths and uh, now the VVT uh, alluded to the profile extracted from the base curve has an intriguing shape it's not to say a kind of a full diffractive IOL but it certainly has diffractive structures so there must be something which any physicist in optics would describe as a diff- diffractive element it's not a bad word it's just a physical truth that we should be aware of to better judge what we do. It doesn't say the lens is good or bad, that's not my point. I just try to stick to uh, optical reality there. So, uh, the VVT show possibly uh, a diffractive element there. Now, what th- about the Rayner? The Rayner has been measured also. It provides positive collaboration aberration. And uh, what's interesting is when you measure several lenses, you measured several uh, spherical elements, IOLs, the EMV and other lenses uh, using negative spherical aberration and you see that the lens provides a constant spherical aberration throughout most of the optic and it's positive uh, and it doesn't go up much toward the edge on the contrary it goes down to preserve optical quality for large pupil diameters and finally uh, this is another brilliant idea that Benjamin had because we know usually manufacturers they provide you with the graph which fits their goal most. So they would select the best corneal 3 graph aberration which is usually balanced by their own lens and the best pupil size that makes the lens looking the most efficient. So what we did here is a matrix where you have uh, x-axis pupil size and the corneal circular aberration, which we know varies in the human population. And what you see is that for average pupil diameter, which is three millimeter for most patient, physiophagic patient and average fecal aberration, which is usually between 0.2, 0.3 microns positive. The lens has the highest depth of focus. You can see the scale here, almost two diopters, 2.5. and outside of this zone still it performs well providing 1.52 sometimes or uh, around those values of uh, depths of focus and that makes this lens quite robust also to pupil dynamics when it comes to uh, uh, improving increasing the depths of focus. So in conclusion, uh, we showed that uh, Reiner is a company that so far accurately explains their advanced technologies and I hope it will continue like that. Uh, It's a fully non-diffractive IOL. I'm speaking about the EMV. And uh, I think uh, the depth of focus has been shown to be at least 1.5 diopters or more throughout all those combinations. And um, I think uh, we now need to uh, learn more about the in vivo measurement to see if they are in line with those findings. Thank you very much for your attention. My pleasure to introduce the next speaker. We are
2: very uh, proud to have Oliver Findl, who is really well renowned for studying um, different optics, different lenses, and providing uh, objective evaluation and information. He's also um, an expert on IOLs and, uh, of course, he is our host and president of ESCRS. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let me introduce Oliver, who will talk about results from a comparative prospective study study with Ray1EMV.
3: Well, thank you very much for the kind words. Um, so, you know, you've seen a lot about the optics now and now we're going sort of more into the clinical um, results. And the idea of this trial is a randomized controlled single center trial. Um, and it was actually, let me say, quite ambitious to do this trial in, with this comparator, namely the Rayner EMV, which you've heard quite a bit about just now. And the Acrosoft Vivity lens, which really, as you just seen now, and I hadn't seen that data before, uh, but is is really an e, an EDOF lens, an enhanced depth of focus lens. Um, at least that's what most people would would put it into. And and as you've seen, the the Ray One, the EMV is is really a, a monofocal plus. Uh, and and one of the reasons why we go for monofocal plus is to try to attempt to really have much less of the side effects that we may have with some EDOF lenses. And now I've come to learn that it's not just a, a refractive. Of the vivity in this case, possibly, but actually has a diffractive element to it, at least to a certain extent. We had 48 patients in this uh, trial, and we did target for half a diopter of mini monovision because that's something I like to do in in, in practice, Um, and that's what we did in this trial. And the outcomes the main outcome was difference in binocular uncorrected intermediate visual acuity at 66 centimeters, so that is. Uh, the main um, outcome and then obviously we measured all other things uh, as well but that's what the lens the, the, the trial was powered to so as you know the lens is is a pre-loaded lens um, is a hydrophilic acrylic lens has a very long track record concerning the material also this uh, in this case we're seeing the EMV toric which was introduced into our trial um, a, a little later on because when it became available we started of course uh, without the toric component we did a a whole host of things apart from the visual acuity measurements. We use the Optec Vision Test, the 6500, which is well established for contrast sensitivity measurements, both on the mesopic and photopic conditions, as well as with and without glare. We also use the Salzburg Reading Test, which uh, essentially the patient has to read uh, sentences and we can, and by the machine listens, uh, has a microphone. And for assessing halos, we use the Aston Helometer which is also well established and has been um, essentially gives you a small glare source right in front of the of this um, iPad and and then the patient um, has to try to uh, assess the size of the halo which is of course also of interest especially for nighttime driving. So let's look at the spherical equivalent. Uh, We we did achieve a little less uh, minus uh, in the Ray-EMV cons- uh, compared to the Alcon Vivity Let's look at uh, the visual acuity, and this is now a first uh, uncorrected binocular visual acuity. For different distances between the Rayner and the Alcon, there is actually no difference, at least not significant difference. We do see, and, and, and also for distance by the way, we do see a difference for near, as you would expect I should say, because this is a monofocal plus in that range, and here we have sort of dealing with, let me say, an EDOF lens, um, you do have a, a significantly better near acuity uncorrected binocular. This is always binocular because, again, this is a monovision setting, as I told you, about half a diopter difference. We did the same for mesopic, and you have similar results for mesopic conditions. Let's have a look at the binocular defocus curves. Interestingly, very similar for photopic and mesopic, at least under the conditions we used. And you can see that the alconvivity has a higher um, range, especially in that defocus of about one and a half to two and a half A Little worse at distance, that's something we also hear about the Vivity, and that's also my clinical impression, having user-lens quite a bit, that there are some patients who say, mm, For distance, it's just not as good as they would expect. So these are patients who are quite critical um, um, and and that's an answer you get once in a while. And I think um, that that's something we hear from from several surgeons. What about contrast sensitivity? The VVT actually um, is lower than the Ray-EMV in pretty much uh, many of these uh, spatial frequencies. What about halo size? The halo size for the VVT is larger and that's also statistically significant. Reading speed, as you would expect, at 40 centimeters, the reading speed is quick, is, is uh, better uh, for uh, the w- so the words per minute uh, for the vividity because it has better near function. Uh, again, a combination of it being probably some kind of let me say EDOF lens, although I don't like the term that much, but let's use it for for, for just for for this uh, this talk, and also because again we tended to have a little more myopia on the non-dominant eye with the Vividi group compared to the EMV group. So to conclude, we had this mini-monovision trial of half a diopter comparing a monofocal plus lens, the Rayner EMV, with an EDOF-IOL, the Vividi. We saw no significant difference between groups for distance and intermediate vision. This is uncorrected, but we did see better uncorrected near vision for the EDOF-IOL. There's a trend for slightly better contrast sensitivity with the EME group, especially under mesopic conditions with glare. We did see a difference uh, regarding reading speed for NEAR. The photic phenomenon, the EMV had a smaller halo size. So from my perspective, the Rayner EMV IOL is a monofocal plus, especially suited for monovision strategy. From our trial, it probably makes sense to uh, uh, go for a little more monovision, let's say 0.75, and that's also what I do now in my clinical routine because that will give you more near vision. I know that uh, Graham goes to, my, to, to one diopter, 125 diopter, which is a real monovision um, sort of approach, which the patient of course needs to be uh, um, discussed with the patient beforehand. But you can also use it as your standard monofocal IOL with very good cr- contrast sensitivity. The photic phenomenon seem to be very similar or comparable to standard monofocal IOLs and essentially you will have uncompromised binocular distance vision, which is of course important if you use it in this aspect, uh, and you will have some benefit for intermediate vision and sometimes even some useful near vision. I also want to talk just about a new uh, version of Ray Pro. Uh, they've updated it, so that is a software which you may want to use for your patients. What it does is it sends out emails to patients, asking them for prompts, five questions, and then you have a very nice cockpit where you can see how your patients are doing after surgery, and the patients get that in certain intervals. So I think it's something very nice to audit your patients, just concerning their subjective ratings of how surgery went, not necessarily only with the EMV lens, but any lens or any brainer lens you may be using. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Oliver. My pleasure to introduce our final speaker. So, Alan Bossam from the UK. He's the director and founding partner of OCL Vision. Um, multi-talented, interest in refractive surgery, cataract surgery, premium lenses, and, ca- and corneal surgery as well. And uh, Alan, you were the first to implant the Ray one in 2020. So you have a vast experience and today you're going to tell us about comparing RayOne EMV and Acrosoft RQ.
4: Thanks very much for that kind introduction. So this was a retrospective study with six months of follow-up comparing the RayOne EMV with the Acrosoft Vivity lens. Uh, We looked at objective assessments, visual acuity, refraction and subjective outcomes using the RayPro questionnaires for patient satisfaction. 820 eyes of 517 patients were included. Um, these are the preoperative um, considerations and you can see that about 300 patients in each group, which is the majority, had bilateral implantation with the uh, minority having unilateral implantation. The group also includes uh, the toric versions of both lenses and non-toric depending on what patients needed. Most eyes were targeted for emotropia, so everyone had emotropia targeted in the dominant eye um, and in the non-dominant eye it varied and of note is that 10% more eyes had a more myopic target in the Vivity group, so minus 0.75 or more. The, um, the eyes within the NHS normative values of plus or minus a half or one were excellent in both groups. So what do we see? Um, well, we saw, as you've, you've heard in the, in, in the other studies and in the theoretical studies, but it's nice to show in a big, um, kind of, let's say, real-world retrospective study, that there was a statistically significant better uncorrected distance visual acuity and corrected distance visual acuity uh, in the Ray 1 EMV group versus Vivity. Uh, there was no significant difference in the um, uncorrected intermediate visual acuity. Uh, and we saw a modest but statistically significant difference uh, in uncorrected near visual acuity favoring the vivity lens. And that's to the tune of our study of three letters. Uh, 50% of patients achieved 0.2 logmar or better for, for binocular uncorrected intermediate vision. Um, and it's very comparable between the two IOL groups in terms of uh, what we were achieving there for intermediate. For cylindrical reduction, again, both lenses performing very well for plus or minus a half and plus or minus one, uh, but more eyes in the Ray1 EMV group um, had post-operative refractive cylinder of 0.25 or less, um, and more eyes in the Ray1 EMV group um, had post refractive cylinder of 0.75 or less. So slightly better cylindrical control for the uh, EMV patients. What about the questionnaire? Well, we sent this out to 300 patients who were binocularly implanted, and we received response... Um, from 42%, um, and satisfaction was excellent with both. Um, in this group, it's not only cataract patients, also refractive lens exchange patients, so maybe a little bit more demanding. Um, but there's 84% satisfaction with the Ray 1 EMV, and 78% satisfaction uh, with the Vivity lens. We presume that difference in satisfaction to be due to either tolerability of uh, mini monovision or the improved reading, uh, the improved distance vision that you get with the Ray 1 EMV clearly matters to patients. So in conclusion, the Ray-1 EMV demonstrated significantly better uncorrected distance vision and corrected distance vision. Uh, Intermediate vision was equally good between the two lenses. Uh, We saw good uncorrected near vision uh, in the EMV group, but slightly better, three letters better, uh, in the Vivity group. But expectations were matched or even surpassed in the EMV group, given the difference in lens design and how the lenses are actually positioned in the market and that difference in reading vision may actually be um, explicable by the fact that we targeted a little bit more monovision in the Vivity group. We saw more effective post-operative cylinder reduction in the uh, EMV toric group uh, and higher patient satisfaction levels uh, in the EMV group. So what are the future considerations? Well, we need to do a subgroup analysis to compare like for like with equivalent amounts of myopic target in the non-dominant eye so we can see exactly what the level of difference uh, is. Um, and it's interesting to note also in Oliver's study that there was a bit more myopia for whatever reason in the, uh, achieved in the, in the Vivity group. Um, we want to investigate higher levels of monovision, so 1.25 or more. Um, it may be better tolerated given the higher satisfaction levels, and we may be able to achieve equal reading vision compared with the Vivity if we do so. We want to drill down into our questionnaire results and find out what the causes of non-satisfaction were in the minority of patients and look more carefully at dysphotopsia. Um, and I think also very relevant in today's kind of inflationary market of where everything's more expensive for everyone uh, is a cost-benefit analysis, because the cost difference between the Ray 1 EMV and the Vivity lens, given the very modest difference in how they perform, is enormous. Um, you know, it's huge even for a small practice. So we'd like to do that as well in order to see um, whether it's, it's really worth it to use a more expensive lens. Thank you very much for your attention.
2: Thank you, Elon. We'll have some time for discussion, and I'll open that discussion. Perhaps I'll ask Oliver for your first for the first comment. It was a great study. Um, the theme of the symposium is all about balance. So, do you think the Ray One EMV has got the balance right? You have to choose your line, which you your fulcrum, and then you make up what you don't have with monovision. That's the concept. Would you trade off? Would you prefer a little bit more reading or is maintaining that quality for distance low halo?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think for me, it's always critical to have good distance vision. Um, and I think then I can, I can, that's the way I'm doing it now. I can tighter the MonoVision, the amount of MonoVision of what the patient actually wants slash also expects. So if it's a patient who really wants to have very good reading vision, then this is probably not the right approach to start with, that's my, take on it, then I would probably go for a trifocal with all the negative aspects that may have, which I don't do very much actually. I try to t- t- talk the patients out of trifocal technology, although I do use it sometimes, of course. But I think if it's a patient who says, you know, I just want some intermediate vision, I'll go for maybe half a diopter or 0.75. If it's a myope, I tend to do, do a lot more, like 125, because they can usually you know, deal with it very well. So I think it really, I, I, can, I can titrate that and I think you get a feeling for that very soon. It doesn't take you too long. So even if you don't, are not used to MonoVision or haven't done it very much, <laughs> I think it's something which you'll get a hang of in within, you know, 20, 30 patients.
2: Yeah, I, I'm an enthusiast for MonoVision and I'm hoping the Ray right 1, which can make MonoVision more tolerable, will tend people into exploring some of the benefits that that can achieve. So, Damien, you really explained to us beautifully about the different optics and you understand better than most, once again, that you have to make choices and you have to make decisions. And um, where do you think we're headed in the future?
1: I don't have a crystal ball, so it's difficult. Um, I think uh, we learn from previous experiences and we probably We'll see uh, kind of a efflorescence of new lenses, uh, which is good for us because I think the future is more customized the choice of the lens to the patient. We don't have customized lens yet, so that's maybe the next thing. I would say pupil customization could be also a nice uh, add to the technology. But uh, so far, what we could do now is, because we have such a variety of lenses, if we had a system that can pick up the right lens for this, expected performance in that patient That would be helpful and probably we would use several lenses model that may fit better this eye with this expectation and with this uh, uh, expected performance right
2: alone very uh, interesting results fascinated by the satisfaction difference between the two and I guess we still have to learn why what would make people more satisfied and you know, you've got vast experience. You you did conjecture a little bit. So, what do you think the reason for the difference in satisfaction could be due to?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, we we titled the symposium "Balancing Quantity and Quality of Vision," um, and I think that with the Ray One EMV, we clearly have a technology that maximises the um, the quality of vision, um, potentially sacrificing a little bit of quantity, modestly. Um, and maybe that's reflected in patient satisfaction. So, you know, what they really want is good quality of vision and spectacle independence, or the level thereof, providing they're mostly spectacle independent, um, they see as a bonus, if you can get them a bit more. Um, it's possible that tolerability of monovision in the in the EMV group uh, explains that difference. But, um, you know, I just kind of, I find, I honestly find work less stressful because I can counsel patients about technology, where th- is, and if they do have problems at night, which is very rare, it's fully reversible. They can just put a pair of glasses on when they drive up the motorway or the freeway in the rain, and it's difficult, and they're plano in both eyes, no problems. So it's, uh, it's a great introduction for surgeons who are maybe not using presbyopia, correcting or addressing lens technology.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot. Look, with, with that, I'll draw to an end. I want to thank my panel. Uh, Thank you all for attending and listening to it. And thank you, Rainer, for providing the opportunity. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of Peer to Peer, the podcast. You can watch the full video recording of the Rainer ESCRS Symposium on Rainer's YouTube channel. If you haven't subscribed already, please take a minute and click subscribe before you head off. That way you'll know when the next episode arrives. For more information about this episode's topic, And to read the show notes, visit the peer-to-peer hub at rainer.com forward slash peer-to-peer. This podcast is provided for general information purposes only. The presenter's views are their own. Rainer does not endorse off-label use. Users must refer to the product labelling and instructions for use for Rainer products in all cases. Not all Rainer products are available in all countries. The full disclaimer can be found in the show notes.